Welcome to The Other 51, a podcast about writing with me, Brian Moritz. This week, my conversation with Marnie Eisenstedt, a reporter for Syracuse.com and The Post Standard. So, Central Western New York, it's weather, obligatory snow talk. How's your weather doing today? Well, you know what, today is lovely uh, where I am. The sun is shining, the paths are clear. So, uh, and everyone was able to go to school today. So I think that's a, that's a good day. And I always just budget that it will snow from now until about May. And I really don't pay much attention to it. No, that, 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 that's really the (laughs) only way you can, you you can survive this, this part of the country this time of year. Um, you guys got more than we did. I'm out in Rochester and we got like four or five inches, which I mean, that's, that's nothing. Oh, okay. No, we got at my house, we got about a foot, maybe a little bit more. So yeah, and everybody, um, a lot of places canceled school the night before, but we didn't cancel school until maybe 5.15 in the morning. Oh, so. oh that's tough. Yeah, yeah it's, they always do it at 5.15 in the morning. So. Right. Um, well, you guys had an eventful weekend up in Syracuse, along with the with the big winter storm coming through. I know that there was a lot of action and uh, a shooting at, at the mall at Destiny USA, right. um, and stuff like that. So, I, I, I guess this kind of from your perspective and, and from the the your job, what, what what's a weekend like this like? I know we kind of talked uh, yesterday when we were setting this up, trying to find people who were at the mall during the uh during the shooting where one person was shot so what what, what's a weekend like this with with this kind of news like for you as a reporter so um i um i'm a more i I don't generally like work that shift unless somebody you know maybe asked me to help out and honestly i think someone did ask me to help out but i didn't read my email until they had found someone else so um uh, I mean, generally, I check my email by like seven o'clock, even on a Saturday morning, but I think I overslept. Um, so but, um, you know, with something like this, it's obviously there were it's the biggest day of the year at the mall. Um, and it's the big one of the biggest malls in the in the region. It's, it's really, you know, it is a destination place for people. And there are something like 10,000 people there um, at that moment. Um, you know, so a lot of them have stories to tell. I mean, people thought, you know, no matter the reality of it, people thought that they were going to die. You know, I've I've talked to several people now for, you know, for a story, just telling the stories of the, you know, the back rooms that people got stuffed into and the kind of clerks who were making minimum wage or just a bit more who were suddenly in charge of people's safety. Um, You know, so there's, there's, you know, the, the, the one small thing that happened that just sent all of these ripples into, you know, a, a, a really a, a group of people that is, is larger than, you know, an average village around here. I mean, that's really, if you think about it, that's how many people are at the mall at that point. So, um, I know, and that's something we hear also, you know, we have to cover both from the, you know, the quick turn, but then also, you know, to come back and give people some context, you know, there's a story I'm working on and then another reporter is working on a story about, you know, what is the protocol when something like that happens? Did they follow it? Um, you know, it, it's it's um, not the kind of thing that you just you roll up, write one story about it and go away. You know, we, we like to give people context, you know, because it's a place of real significance in our community. We, we like to make fun of it, but, you know, everybody goes there, including me. 
Um, and so if, if you don't know, um, if you're not from the central or western New York region, there was a, an altercation at the at the mall in Syracuse that led to a shooting. One person was shot, um, but the mall was on lockdown for several hours and ended up closing early at like eight o'clock on the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And I'm wondering, how did you end up finding people to talk to? Like, what's your mechanism for actually finding out and people who are willing to talk and who were there and might be willing to share a story? You know, I think um, just like with with any story, you go to a couple of different places, um, you know, social media, you know, tons of people commented on our story, on posts that other people made, and they were already starting to tell their stories. And I think more and more now in, in the news world, people are already telling their own stories. So it's up to us to really pay attention to that and, you know, help them tell it on our platforms as well and put it in into some context. So, you know, I, I found people, you know, through that way. And then I put out a call on, on my um, personal Facebook page and then my work Facebook page, which is public and just said, do you know anyone? Pass, pass me along. I, you know, I want to hear about what happened. And, you know, and then also just people I know, know people, you know, I live in this community and, you know, people, people I knew were there, people knew people who were there. Um, it's all that, it's all that sort of spider web that, that we cast out as, you know, as reporters and people who live in a community. Um, so, and I'm still looking for people to talk to because you never have enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, when do you know you have enough? There's a question for you. Where, how do you know well, you have enough for a story like this? I, I think for a story like this, it's, it's really weighing what you want to do against the deadline that you're given. And I, I think at least in, you know, in the, you know, web and newspaper business, deadlines always play some, some factor in there, right? You know, it's how much can I get by, and, you know, how much can I get um, by a certain, by a certain point, you know, if somebody wants something by, Thursday, how much can I get by Thursday? Or sometimes it's just you have tapped every, you know, you've tapped every keg, you, you can't, you can't find any more. And I think once you've, you know, I've been doing this probably for 20 years and I think you kind of know when you've hit that point, but also somebody always asks you like someone just did, can't you get more? <laughs> and and then you think, oh wait, I didn't try here and I didn't try there. I'll just try for a little more. And um, sometimes a little more is surprising. It's the person that you were, you know, that really makes your story so much better, and you you don't you don't realize you even needed it. Like this uh, series, I, I think you're going to ask me about later. But you know, we were mostly done, and then one more person wanted to talk, and oh, I mean, he just opened a whole new door. Mm-hmm. Um. So, so uh, and, and in terms of finding people in the stories, one of the stories that I wanted to ask you about was the janitor from Syracuse University who you wrote about who sure. cleaned a lot of the uh, the racist graffiti or Greek cleaned racist graffiti off the walls and uh, and part of the ongoing uh, situation there. Um, how did you find out about that story? So um, I write my I think my title now is technically a public affairs reporter, but I always just I often write stories just about about people doing, uh, people, people doing good, doing, um, doing things that, you know, may, someone else may not see them rising to the level of news, but they, um, there's a, a context that they provide to our community that I find really interesting and, and our readers do as well. And so this woman, Carrie, 
Um, she uh, is a, you know, I met her maybe last year. She um, runs a, just a little Facebook web, you know, just a Facebook page basically that where she uh, brings, you know, people who have stuff together with people who need stuff. It's like, it's literally as simple as that. And I did a story about her for Christmas last year, just about how, you know, this little effort of hers was helping lots of people help each other. And so I'm, I'm friends with her now on social media. And I think I just saw she made a, a little post about she put up these cards at SU. And I just immediately was like, that is a story. You know, that is something like she's in the thick of this and she has found a way to say and do something good that resonates with people. You know, it resonated with me and I'm pretty average, I think. And um, so I just messaged her and I said, I, I, you know, I want to do a story about this, you know, like right now. <laughs> and, and, it, and it was 10 o'clock at night. And so I think we did it at eight o'clock in the morning or something. And, and she's just a lovely, lovely, earnest person who works the night shift. And so we met me and a photographer the next morning. I don't think it was eight o'clock, but it was, you know, still morning. Mm-hmm. It, it, it sounds like social media plays a really big role in kind of how you find your, these stories and how you keep connected with the community. You know, I think I think more and more, um, you know, that's uh, that's just how it, it that's how all of us communicate with each other. Right. I mean, that's how my kids communicate with their friends. And, and that is how we pay attention to each other now. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, not every story certainly comes from social media, but that is just a really easy way to stay in touch with people and to keep track of things. Um you know, but other other stories you find just like literally going for a walk in, in you know, at lunchtime. Like some some couple of years ago, someone had hung up just these weird little pieces of artwork. And, you know, it turned out to be this guy who put up graffiti art all over the city. And, uh, you know, that, it was an interesting story. Um, you know, a lot of it comes from keeping your eyes open. Mm-hmm. Um, so what? Why do you think these stories resonate not only with you um, and when you're on the lookout for them, but with readers and with the community? And why? Why? Why are they still kind of so important? Kind of in this in this media environment that we're in. You know, I I think that it is um, it's really easy to um, think that we have people's attention, and it's really easy to think that we, um, you know, that everyone is always like moving at a fast pace and only wants to read a little bit about, a, you know, a, a traffic accident or, you know, we have metrics on everything now. But, you know, we're still, we want to hear stories about real people doing, it, it sounds so, it sounds like I'm oversimplifying it, but real people doing things that, that matter. You know, there are voices that are so easy to overlook and they are so important. You know, one of my favorite stories that I did last year uh, was about this 13-year-old girl who, um, you know, she's just a kid at a middle school in Syracuse. And I talked to her about what it's like to live just every day amid the violence. I mean, we had been writing about this, you know, just spate of gun violence on the uh, near west and south side for for weeks. And I just wanted to hear from a kid what it was like to live in that because every kid in those neighborhoods lives in that. And, you know, it, it was um, really so many people told me how it just opened their eyes 
to a part of their community they didn't see. And, and I think that's probably a lot of what I write about, you know, people who work with the homeless who are reaching out to the homeless and people who are homeless themselves, kids, voices that are easy to overlook or to only listen to just a little bit. Um, you know, I just, I think they're so important and, you know, our, our readers do as well. I mean, you have to know how to tell and craft a story to get people to come in and, and listen. Um, but, you know, I, I, uh, once you do that, people are certainly ready to hear stories um, about these people who are often overlooked. Yeah, I, lo- I love the uh, thing you said about keeping your eyes open. And I tell my students at a swig of that all the time. It's the use all of your senses when you reporting is what I tell them. Don't just rely on what people say or what you hear or what you read in something. You know, when you're at an event, look around, write what it smells like, write what the food tastes like, write what you're hearing and all of that. And it's so important especially for uh, you know any story but especially these types of stories that that you do it's this idea of really trying to to bring the reader into this world or into this into the story a little bit more than they would than they aren't usually yeah as i spoke to a class i think it was uh, maybe two weeks ago and i you know we were in this little room around a table and and i you know we were talking about that very same thing and i said you know um when I, I, I can't remember the story I was talking to them about. They had asked me about a certain story and I said, oh, I know what it was. I, um, I was writing a story uh, a couple of years ago. I wrote a story about um, this recovering heroin addict who, you know, he really had, um, he really had like just completely destroyed what was, uh, you know, looked like a storybook, storybook life. And then he, he rebuilt it. But the thing that I just could not understand that I couldn't get my head around was what about heroin could be so great that you would just throw all of this away? So I had him walk me through what it felt like to get high. And it was in, in you know, I, I record myself always when I do interviews. I like, I record the interviews and I listen back. And, and it's just like, it's, it's the, the questions are almost painful, but that you have to go to that level of detail sometimes to understand something. So I said, what does it feel like? Is it, is it as, is it, you know, I said, I said, I've, I've, you know, I've never done heroin. I've, you know, so what, what does it feel like? Is it like a lot of, a lot of really good drinks? Is it like, is it like sex? Is it like, I said, just what is it like? And, um, and and he, he, you know, walked me through it, you know, like at first it feels like, uh, you know, I, I can't, you know, feels, first it feels like you're all warm and then it is, you know, for like five minutes, it's like, I don't know if I can say this on your podcast, but you like, for five minutes or 10 minutes, it's like the best orgasm you ever had. And then it's like, you know, you crash. And I was like, okay, I, I you know, I'm a grown up. I kind of understand that. But, you know, and I, so I, I said, but what I said to them was, you know, like exactly what you're saying. You know, you ask someone, what does it smell like when you were there? What did it smell like? What did it look like? What did you feel when you were there? Um, you know, and these people who are stuffed in these back rooms, that's, that's what I'm asking them. Like, what was everyone doing in there? What did it look like? How many people were there? How close were they to you? Um, you know, you just, you're, because what we really are is, is re you know we're reconstructing things for people all of the time. Mm-hmm. 
So I, I did want you, you mentioned the uh, the series, and I do want to spend some time talking about it. This came out um, was it earlier this year? This came out the uh, the AA series. Yeah, it was just uh yeah it was it was um in October. Okay, it was in October throughout the month of October. Yeah, and the, yeah. Uh, the headline on it, which is a great headline to draw you in, "Drunk with Power: Syracuse's Rogue AA Group." Um, and I'm gonna have the link to to the whole series and all of the videos and stories in show notes for this episode because it, it spent some time with it if you if you when you have the time because it's a wonderful piece of reporting and writing and everything about this is great um but i wanted to uh you're welcome i wanted to uh let you talk a little bit about it first of all where did the the uh the genesis of the story come from like where where did this whole year-long investigation that you and patrick did where did it start so um, it, Patrick and I came at it from completely uh, different places. Each of us had found a piece of this story. And, um, you know, I, there's a young man who was in the story. Uh, I think he's, he's the lead in the second day, Benjamin Kress. And I uh, was taught, he was a medical student who overdosed. And so I um, ended up interviewing his, his family you know, kind of just about that, trying to find out what happened. You know, sometimes you just see an obituary and you say, oh, this, you know, I need to find out more. And his, his um, family mentioned the name of this AA group to me. And uh, so I, you know, mentioned it to our health reporter, Jim Mulder. And he said, you know what? I think Patrick is, is also looking into that group. You, sh- you should go talk to him. And that is what I did. And the two of us were like, you know, let's, let's see what more we can find out. And, um, he is a, he's a tremendous reporter and just a a very curious person. And, you know, so between the two of us, we just dug into really every corner of this thing that people, you know, were aware of in this community for 30 years, really uncertain what they should do about it. So tell us a little bit about what this group is. Like what is a rogue AA group? Sure. So um, this, the Syracuse group is an Alcoholics Anonymous group um, that has been in Syracuse for about 30 years. And it, you know, um, Alcoholics Anonymous is uh, people, I think, often think you have to get a license or a charter or something to be, to call yourself Alcoholics Anonymous, but you, you really don't. So, you know, you and I, uh, it just takes two people with a sincere desire to stop drinking. So you and I could start a group right now. And we could call ourselves Alcoholics Anonymous and we can get on a schedule. And that is what this group did 30 years ago. And, um, you know, once you're on the schedule, that's how people who are looking for a meeting find you. But there are, you know, just there are not rules, but traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous. There are things you're supposed to do, things you're not supposed to do. And this group was doing many things that, they were both not supposed to do under Alcoholics Anonymous guidelines and also things that really are, were on the edge of um, being legal. So uh, they would tell people they could not take really important medication. You know, any, it's, it's not right for anyone who's not a doctor to tell someone to stop taking medication, but they were telling people not to take um, people who were you know, schizophrenic and bipolar not to take um, their medication that they needed to stay stable and healthy. They told people not to take seizure medication. Um, they uh, would keep people, um, we were told, um, and detox them really against their will. So they would, you know, like you would come into a meeting, you maybe had been, you know, drinking for months or years, and they would keep you there and try and get you to dry out. 
<clears throat> so um, these are all practices. These are things that Alcoholics Anonymous does not do, should not do um, by, its, by its own, you know, traditions and account. But that is, has been the standard practice of this group and splinters of it. And, and so what's the reporting on this like? Because you're entering a world, obviously, Anonymous is in the name of Alcoholics Anonymous, but it's also a very kind of, I would imagine, very kind of tight-knit, secretive uh, world. And so how did you approach trying to report this and trying to get things on the record and, 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 really, under, and, and really get at the story in a way that you would be able to publish it? So, um, you know, as, as you might imagine, it was, you know, incredibly uh, difficult. But the people, you know, people who were touched by this group were hurt by this group. And they, you know, did, did not want other people to experience the same thing that they did uh, when they went to a place seeking help. And so that was a motivator. You know, whenever you're trying to get someone to go on the record with something that is, um, you know, with, to put themselves at some sort of, you know, risk by going out there, you know, there has to be a, a good reason for them to do it. And I think for all of these people, that was the motivator, uh, you know, because there were people who were affiliated with this group who, you know, we can't say there's a direct line from A to B that they overdosed or died because of, you know, you know, directly because of the hand of this group, but the influence certainly uh, of this group certainly influenced their decision. And I think their family members would say that their lives might have been different had they not been involved with this group. Um, So, you know, that's, that's a, it's a life and death thing. Um, So that I think was the motivator for a lot of people to talk to us to talk to us, excuse me. Um, and I, you know, also, you know, we, everything you get from someone, you have to have somebody else who's going to, you know, verify that for you. And that was really the process with all of these people. So anyone in there who isn't named and a lot of our sources were, are not named, like we know exactly who they are and we have checked their information with another source, often two other sources. Uh, um, and, you know, and then we had, it was amazing after the story ran, like the story was, the stories were so solid when they ran, but after they ran, we heard from more than a hundred people who had had the same stories to tell more than a hundred, more than a hundred people. I mean, I have a spreadsheet, Patrick and I have a spreadsheet with 150, maybe 200 names on it at this point. And they, they, there's, you could just change the names. The stories are, so similar and and for all these people so painful um and so that was just to me i mean that i've been in this business a long time that's never happened to me right i was gonna say as as awful as that is there's got to be a little bit of pride and validation that the story comes out and it's so solid that people are still reaching out to you yeah Absolutely. And all of these people, you know, save maybe a dozen who um, are part of this group and still, you know, it felt like it it did them some good. Uh, All of these people, um, you know, they were saying to to us, part of their message was, thank you for doing this. You know, like, I thought I was alone or thank you, you're going to prevent someone else from, you know, falling down this same rabbit hole. Um, in, or, you know, you put voice to things that I have wanted to say for such a long time, but couldn't figure out how to do it. 
so that yeah that's so gratifying um it, it just you know that's why we do this um looking at um and looking at, at your twitter feed your pin tweet is this great picture of a file folder with just papers and uh, <laughs> notebooks and it looks like post-it notes and everything and all of the notes on it and I, and, and it, it's a great you know kind of visual representation of what reporting looks like but i'm wondering what was so as you're reporting it and you and patrick are reporting it do you kind of know that this is going to be four parts you know it's going to be multiple parts like how are you kind of figuring out how to actually write all this reporting and break it all up um, that was, you know, that was, um, first I'd like to say my, that's, that's my folder. It looks like that. Patrick is, is a good bit younger than I am. And I don't think he has much paper at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, that, that was always a, a, a little bit of a, a joke on me. I always have a lot of paper. Um, but so originally we weren't, you know, we weren't sure. I think it's, it's kind of, it's an iterative, iterative process, you know, that comes through talking with Patrick and talking with, um, John Lammers, who's the, um, you know, he's the senior director of content now. I think that's his official title these days. Um, you know, but he's the editor who's, you know, really in, in charge of a lot of projects like this. And, um, so he was very much also involved in that brainstorming process, figuring out, you know, what were the threads of this story that um, were, you know, com- complete and we could tell them in a way that would, you know, because it's, it's, it, it really is a complex story with so many layers and there's so much history, you know, there's, there was, there's a lot that got left out, <laughs> you know, um, you know, just, you know, rich details, interesting twists, um, you know, that you, you, you know, we're not writing a book yet. So, um, so it's, um, you have to decide, you know, the the decision of what to leave out is almost as important as the decision of what to put in. Um, but, you know, as we talked it through the, the, the four parts were just those, those were the most salient points that, that we wanted to make. And we also wanted to make sure that we, you know, told a, told a great tale, um, you know, it, that we made a narrative that would draw people into this complex situation, make them care about it, but then also lead the public officials and the other people in our community to a place where they could do something to affect change. And I got to tell you, it was not even hours after the final story published that the district attorney announced that he was going to investigate. Really? Um, and, and, you know, yeah, and that was, you know, at the urging of the mayor and the county executive. So, we, you know, we did, um, I think, you know, journalists are some of the most self-critical people there are in the world, probably. And I am, you know, definitely fall into that category. But when I step back, I just think we did the thing we wanted to do. What was the biggest challenge in this whole story? <sighs> There's not a public record at all in this story. I mean, you know, when you look at so many deep investigations, they're built on records and we didn't have that here. Um, you know, there was nothing to foil there. There, these are people who not only are they, um, most of them are struggling with both, um, mental illness and serious addiction. So the, these are, you know, they're people who have their own complex problems. And, you know, we are asking them to take risks in helping us tell that story. 
so, so that's hard. And it's a hard ask to make to someone else. I mean, you can't look at people, you can't look at sources as if they're just like pegs to put in your board. They're real people and you have to consider what you're asking them and how that will impact their life too. Um, so I think that was, that was also hard, but I have to say the thing that was um, really over, you know, that was, I guess, um, when, I, when I step back and really think about it, the, uh, just the bravery of all of these people who decided to speak out. Um, you know, they went on video, they, you know, stepped well outside of their comfort zone. And for some of them, you know, they were criticized for breaking AA's tradition of not, um, you know, talking in public about a controversial issue. Um, and and they, they did that because it was important and because it mattered. And just so their, their bravery um, was, I think, far more remarkable than uh, what we did. So I ask everybody who I have as a guest this question, so I'll ask you, what's the best thing you've read lately? The best thing, well, I just, so um, I just read uh, Steve Jobs' daughter's memoir for my book club, and it was The um, Small Fry. The, the writing is tremendous. She's just, you know, she's a, she's a fantastic writer. Uh, that was um, it was great. I would recommend it. You know, I mean, people, people in my book club were like, it was kind of long. We could have done without 200 pages, but <laughs> most of us are writers and we're always editing when we're reading. So, um, so I, I thought that was a great read. I would, I would recommend it. Um, and I would say um, one of my favorite writers to read is a children's author. <laughs> it's Kate, Kate D. Camillo. And uh, I tell other, you know, I, I was talking to somebody else, a, a high school student who wanted to be a writer. And I said, you know what, go back and read her books. You know, it's such clear writing, vivid imagery, knows how to tell a story. Uh, just um, she's a, you know, I read, I read all sorts of other stuff, too. But she's just she's a tremendous writer. Um, that's kind of an unusual thing. No, it, it's very you know, my daughter's nine now. But going, looking back at some oh, of the okay. books that, that we've that, that we've read and, you know, like Mo Willems is such a the, and these writers. Oh, my favorite. Right. Yeah. They, 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 they oh, are totally one of my favorites. You don't think they're great writing like when, oh. when you think about it. But the, you're right. The, the, the simplicity of story and language and the clarity with writing it. Um, if you're a Mo Willems fan, are you familiar with Diva and Flea? No. Okay, so this is no. this, this is a Mo Willems book. It's beyond like the Pigeon series or Knuffle Bunny or Elephant and Piggy. It's an it's like a first chapter book, and it follows a cat and a dog throughout Paris, and it's a Mo Willems story. And it is one of it's probably the favorite my favorite book that I read with my daughter. That's not Harry Potter. Um, definitely. Oh, I, don't, I, I don't know how. Yeah, I don't know how old your kids are, but it is definitely it's a good wide ranging age because if they're younger, you can read it to them. If they're older, they can read it themselves. But it's and it's a little more little more big kid than than the than your typical Mo Willems book, but still fantastic. Oh, I'll have to check it out. He's a I'm a huge huge fan of his, and my my daughter is also nine, and my older daughter's uh, twelve. So All right, this has been great, Marnie. I appreciate you taking the time to join us this week. All right, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. As always, thanks for listening to The Other 51. You can find show notes for this episode and all our episodes at sportsmediaguide.com on The Other 51 tab. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. I can highly recommend Overcast for this. Our theme music is by Ellie Moritz. Oh, 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 o